As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And guess what? We are spanning three different time zones on the podcast today. I'm Ian Irving and I'm in Manchester, so I need to say good morning to my fellow Mancunian resident, Carl Anker. Hello, Carl. Good morning, mate. How are you getting on? Yeah, very good, thank you. I've cooled down today after the heat wave. Andy and Laurie won't know anything about that uh, because <laughs> Laurie has moved on to Perth now where Manchester United play next. So it's a good late afternoon, early evening to Laurie. Yeah, it's quarter past six here in Perth. A um, little bit warmer than Melbourne, but yeah, not hitting the heights that you guys have been experiencing over in Manchester. No, not at all. And Andy, it's a good evening to you because you are one crazy cat and you are not just going from Melbourne to Perth like any normal reporter. You're going via Adelaide and you're in a pub there now. Nice work. I'm in a pub where the Manchester United fans of Adelaide uh, normally gather and I'm heading on to Perth. With some regrets because Virgin Australia have kindly cancelled my flight to Perth and want to reroute me via Sydney, so I'm going to get stung for a new flight. So if you're thinking of using Virgin Australia, don't. (laughs) Other bad airlines are available. That's who I flew with today, Andy. It was a a seamless journey. (laughs) So so did I to get here and it was fine, but I'm not going to use them again. I just find it very funny that Andy told us all on the last episode that he was having to travel dry through all these nations and the next time we talk to him he's literally in a pub <laughs> and yeah. he is actually taking a sip of a drink right now <laughs> i'm gonna assume it's orange juice <laughs> um, i'm having a beer and i had to wait for that beer uh, after the, the issues in my previous locations i did get a beer with uh lorry in melbourne not that not that he drinks beer basically if you're going around with lorry I'm sure he makes the, the names of the drinks up. I think he gets like a climatic condition and he adds on an animal afterwards. So you go to the bar and you'd be like, can I have a stormy cow, please, mate? Can and I, the barman will be like, can I in- don't you just shut up one second? He asked me to get a rainy peacock, a cloudy lion, and I'm just like, can I have one beer, mate? And whatever he wants, what does he want? A stormy cow, please. And this like hipster barman will be like, come back 10 minutes later and... Yeah, that's 40 quid for Laurie's drink, and I'm having, like, beers for a fiver. And he's in a round at this point. He's one of them, is he? Yeah, he's in a round, yeah. Absolutely get fleeced when you're going around with him. (laughs) Can I interrupt here? Because the drinking question was a dark and stormy, (laughs) which I know you know what that is, Ian and Carl. Yes, I'm aware of a dark and stormy. Rum and ginger beer, a beautiful drink. And also, I was the one that introduced Andy to this bar in Fitzroy, which is a lovely suburb of... Uh, Melbourne, which is kind of like the Northern Quarter. Um, it had a rooftop terrace, didn't it, Andy? You were looking out over the city, beautiful landscape, Naked for Satan it was called. Um, so I'm, I'm claiming finders fee on that and that's why I deserved a more expensive drink. I'll give you credit for the bar. It was absolutely brilliant and it was really good of you to turn up 54 minutes late to meet me, by which time I'd already <laughs> tried all of the various beers in, in the bar. But Melbourne's a top city. I think we, we both really enjoyed ourselves there and... It, it went well, a lot of good United fans there, the football was good, so I left there with very happy memories of Melbourne. Yeah, I think Kyle and I are quite jealous sat here in Manchester, not with you guys and enjoying the company of United fans and also at the matches as well, because it's been a pretty promising 
couple of weeks really for United watching them take shape under Ten Hag. You've enjoyed yourselves and despite the fact that we're 12,000 kilometres apart now, um, I think we've all been united in how we felt about watching the games. I mean, Carl, it's been encouraging at home, hasn't it? There's been progress, it looks like already. Don't want to get carried away. I really don't want to get carried away. Don't start that. Carried I don't away. want to do it. I don't want to do it. I very much watched that uh, Palace game. Uh, in my notepad, I've got, you know, remember this is a heavily rotated Palace side. The majority of Palace's senior players were back in the United Kingdom for another friendly they had against Gillingham. But I did stand up and applaud at least one of United's goals yesterday. It was just superb to watch. Yeah, I like the fullbacks as well. I know you tweeted about it. Malassia was absolutely everywhere. And I've been jealous in the past when I've watched teams with plays that I can't really understand. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing it up close and personal every week and trying to work out. He's definitely a left back, isn't he? But he's sort of like, is he a left winger? Is he a central midfielder? Is he a number 10? I mean, that is a that is quite a big change, Andy, already, isn't it? Even in a pre-season friendly to see a new player for the first time properly starting a game and roaming everywhere, making a big impact. This is what he does. This is what the manager does. This is what the player does. And I, I know that because when he signed, I spoke to someone who, who's, who'd watched him 80 times and he said Ten Hag wants his overloads. This is how he does it. This is how he makes use of the wide men, watches positioning in various states of possession for Feyenoord. And I felt it was an education listening to this person whose job it is to, to watch these people professionally. And we've been seeing it with our own eyes watching Manchester United. He gets really, really far forward. And I know that Ten Hag wants a threat on the left and on the right. He wants them to be unpredictable. There's been times when he's been happy with his right and not his left. He was on the floor a lot, Malassia. And I think he will take some getting used to the physical side of, of um, English football, Premier League football, but he's had a good talk. We've seen some him playing a part in some of the build-up to some fantastic goals. So I'm not here going, oof, he looks some way off. I'm here thinking he's, he, hmm. he's, he's, he's looking encouraging. Yeah, and another thing, Laurie, that's been encouraging has been the attacking players finding form and finding the back of the net, which is something that didn't happen in either sense last year. Yeah, well, I mean... Anthony Marshall, you know, Carl's obviously got the sellotape right back out. That membership card is is looking. I'm, I'm getting tempted. Quite promising I, now. I've been I know impressed. That. Yeah. I would want a subscription to that membership. Um, I've been learning uh, yeah. before, mind you, but you know, yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. We'll see when the real action starts. But as Carl says, those goals were brilliant, weren't they? And and you're sort of thinking, right, is that because Palace are, are kind of a bit more dishevelled? Uh, you know, it's the second string. It's it's a friendly, so there's a bit more freedom, I suppose, in, in terms of how Man United are playing. Or is it because Tenag has, has got them drilled and kind of got them running in ways, making passes, you know, where they know where the where their teammates going to be. You know, the 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 goal where you've got Marshall laying it off to Donny Van der Beek who squares it for Rashford is is beautiful, and you can kind of see how that would be that could be a recurring theme. And also the the goal for Sancho. I mean, great finish again from him. Um, but that comes right from you know kickoff, uh, right from a goal kick, sorry, uh, where you've, it seems like they've, they've drawn them in and they've, they've beaten the press, and then it's a, a quick couple of passes that have set them free. And you know they do seem to have understanding between them. You know we've said it before, I think that that front four of, of Bruno, Sancho, Rashford, and, and Marshall does have great technical quality to it. It's just whether it can come in sync. And I mean, okay, it's, again, it's a friendly. We're not getting carried away, but it seemed to really come to fulfilment against Palace. And the thing I think I got most excited about, above anything, watching the match on MUTV, you'll hear in a moment the commentary of, of Stuart and Ben, uh, the comms team for the Crystal Palace game. But if you listen very closely, you'll hear Ten Hag say something that's a little bit X-rated. Seems to me like he's got a, a team full of attacking players yes. when you think about the players that are not here in Zaha, Elise, Eze. Carl? Winning the game and the the minutes dying away, shouting that out, that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't want to get too I don't want to get too excited no? about a disciplinary manager as United have been here before. And the... weren't we all crying out for that last year though? So at times, so I think didn't we want someone to whip him into shape? Every United manager feels like a direct response to the failings of the last one. So Mourinho was meant to be too mean, and then Solskjaer <laughs> came in and he was too nice. Then Solskjaer, you know, the the critique was Solskjaer didn't really have a tactical plan, and then Rangnick came in who was supposed to have a tactical plan, but Rangnick also didn't have the ear of the dressing room. So now the idea is to get someone with a tactical plan and the ear of the dressing room. And a disciplinary streak. So we've just sort of combined the last three managers all in one in Ten Hag. 
Um, Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> I know, I know. It feels quite weird. I will say I am also one of the uh, United fans that quite enjoys that clip that went viral where Ten Hag is shouting at Noah Lang, who is now in, in Belgian football. He says, you have to shut up. It's our game, not just yours. And I think that is the big thing that Ten Hag seems to be really preaching to the to the collective, which is I don't I don't mind if you're you know a goal up or you've scored a goal and you've done really well, but it's about the collective. It's you need to stay switched on because none of this works if you switch off. That's what I'm excited about. Not just someone shouting at someone. What do you make of it all? Well, obviously we didn't. So we didn't hear we, we, in the MCG. Frustratingly, we're kind of behind um, sort of glass screens because we're in the press box, which obviously it's usually a cricket ground. Um, so it's kind of a bit more perhaps sedate than you might uh, anticipate for a football ground, where often you're in the press box and you're right behind the dugout and you can hear little bits that are going on. So, so this is something that you know, comes out on Twitter afterwards um, on social media, and we're kind of thinking. So who's the, do, we, do we have we got a consensus that he's talking about David De Gea there that, he's, that De Gea's kicked it long and he's saying you know what on earth <laughs> are you doing kicking it long David when you know there's a short short pass on. Well, and, I think he was annoyed as well, supposedly, that Charlie Savage hadn't dropped in to give the option to, to give for him De Gea to pass it short as well. So there was a bit of maybe an argument about who exactly he was directing it yeah. at, but them two. Either way, it's a genius management move and we're going to win the league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but as pretty much. Amen to that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we've seen Solskjaer, you know, he, he called out Jesse Lingard, didn't he, at the Etihad, you know, one more time and, you, and you're effing off. Um, I suppose that's, a, as you say, a bit different in that that was in the heat of a, a match that was still in the balance. And this is, you know, you're winning, you know, 3-1, 3-0 in a friendly, you know, does it really matter? Well, yes, it does matter. And, and that's something that, as we'll get on to, we drew from the um, sit down that we had with Eric Ten Hag and, you know, Bruno Fernandes. We've had you know, a little bit of a conversation with him where it's clear that Eric Ten Hag has got very precise messages that he gives to his players and because to be honest because of his language you know which we kind of thought is that going to be an issue that the kind of English communication it is quite um staccato with how he um, puts his points across but that probably you know makes things more clear for the players you know it's not full of waffle you know they, they, they get these instructions that are actually to the point and precise and as we saw you know in that moment he, he can he can snap and he, he and again, we'll get onto it, but we asked him, are you a, uh, you know, do you throw your teacups? Are you kind of a ranter and a raver? And he said, well, no, but there are different tools that a coach has in his arsenal to get the reactions out of players that he wants. And yeah, most time it'll be normal behaviour, but sometimes you've got to use all the tools, which clearly is a bit of a rollicking, a bit of a sharp, short burst that kind of jolts a player into reacting. Let's hear from Eric Ten Hag then. This is an excerpt of your chat with him. I know two weeks on our way and two weeks with the full squad and I think um, yeah, I think we, we are doing well and the players uh, do well respond to the demands uh, we have uh, we have set some some standards and values a way of play we introduced and yeah, we do well and also I think in the cooperation in the staff I'm, I'm satisfied with that uh, that's why it's also the reason that we started quite early. Uh, um, one of the reasons, fitness, but also uh, we want to, to bring in a certain way of play. And that, that needs time. That will not be done uh, when we finish pre-season. But it's also when we finish pre-season, we have to be ready to get results. What was he like, Larry? I was impressed, actually. Um, the first press conference that he gave at Old Trafford, I came away from it thinking, this is going to be a long season. Um, it I was felt very... the same in that room. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think, we I, think all I got a semi-stare <laughs> that day, actually. I didn't really realise it at the time, ah, but on so reflection. A... Well, so Chris Wheeler uh, of the Daily Mail, a uh, former colleague of mine, he, he got a full-on stare in Bangkok when he was asking about Ronaldo. I think I mentioned it in the last podcast. Yeah, so he's he got did, yeah. that's another one of his tools that Eric Ten Hag has. I thought um, he just dried up and maybe he was a bit nervous and his English wasn't there, <laughs> but I think actually he was just trying yeah. to move the conversation on now. So, I think I think yeah. when he decides when he wants to move on, he, you know, he lets you know that, um, which I guess you know you can see how he w- would do that with players as well. But so he did he did a bit of broadcast first, um, Sky, BBC, and, and PA, and the kind of impression from that was that he, he again had given quite short sharp answers I think the first question was asked about how the tour was going and his answer was so far so good which obviously and that ended it there so <laughs> we're thinking yeah. okay we're gonna have to work quite hard here you know we're a collective of journalists we sit around in a round table but 
from his first answer, he gave a full answer as, as much as you'd expect. Um, and you could tell that he was quite relaxed. I don't know if it was the cameras being off or if he'd been warmed up a little bit by the other guys asking their questions first. But it felt like a really good conversation where, from our perspective, I, I felt I came away from it much more informed about what kind of guy he is, what kind of football he wants to bring, um, as well as getting a few you know, newsy nuggets, I suppose, on, on different matters, Ronaldo and, and De Jong maybe. Um, but certainly I came away from it thinking I can sit, clearly see how, one, you know, you impressed in the interview. And that was one of the questions I asked him, you know, because he, he was quite severe in his interview with John Murta, Richard Arnold, Darren Fletcher over in Amsterdam, telling them about what he thought had gone wrong at United and how he could fix it, but not sugarcoating it. And I think they were impressed by that. And so I could see from that how he then got the job over Mauricio Pochettino, who's perhaps his you'd say maybe more naturally charismatic. Um, but, uh, you know, and at the end of it, he answered all our questions, he gave his time. He's not one, we certainly got the, the word that he's not one that wants to give too much of himself to the press right now, um, particularly because he thinks that um, his work is best done on the training pitches, planning sessions with his coaches. He doesn't want to waste time basically answering questions about, you know, frivolous stuff, I suppose. Um, but in this instance, he gave, you know, 25 minutes of his time um, and, and I came from thinking, you know, really informed and, and impressed. Andy? Well, you asked if Laurie was there. I, I was there, but I was about 200 metres away. My name was on the list and uh, I was in the MCG next door because I'd agreed to do a debate with Brian Robson and Jesper Olsen and it was at exactly the same time and I'd agreed to do it and that's that. So it's pretty unfortunate um, that I wasn't able to, to sit in around that, but I've read all the stuff about it and I, I, I value um, Laurie's explanation of it and tally that with what I'm hearing from other people inside the club and it's very positive with regards to Ten Hag and we're seeing a reflection of that on the football field and I'm not going to say once again that we're not going to get carried uh, because we don't know where it's all going, but I think this has been a very good tour for, for Ten Hag over everybody else for, for for a lot of the players absolutely but for Ten Hag as well I agree yeah definitely the one sort of bad note maybe Laurie and you've written about it um, after the game the other day was Harry Maguire being booed by what we thought were, were Manchester United fans inside the ground a bit of a weird one because Maguire actually played well and as you detail in your piece on The Athletic which people can go and have a look at as well it was interesting to see him in a new position he seemed to thrive on that right hand side he did it towards the end of last season but maybe this is something we're going to see more of yeah he did it against Melbourne Victory um, and you sort of thinking right is that in preparation for Lissandro Martinez coming in he's obviously left footed who um, you'd think from what Ten Hag was saying to us is going to be that central defender although as Carl mentioned on the last podcast I did at the very end of the press conference ask him whether he could play in defensive midfield just for you Carl <laughs> and he said he plays in more positions so listen he did leave the door open after all that um, but you kind of do feel like Martinez and Maguire might be that central defensive partnership so maybe you know bed in Maguire on that right hand side and I, I think it, it did open up a few angles for some of his passes you know from, from right to left Taram Lassie got a good pass in that direction Bruno and you do have to well, say I remember yeah first yeah, half Bruno, yeah, yeah. Good, and he, he does that he has done that on the left side you know often, often to Luke Shaw but it's kind of a narrower angle so I don't know listen it, they're more gifted than I am in terms of working out what people should be doing on, on the pitch but it did it feel it felt like it was a a move that made sense um, and yeah I mean the fact that also he came through the fact that he was getting jeered booed it was it was really weird I mean when he when his name got read out um, that was the first thing and it was a really odd sound it, it wasn't like an outright boo it was kind of like a sort of murmuring of discontent almost and then I think that emboldened some other people to kind of start booing his every touch it was you know it's five in the first five minutes so for him to kind of come through that you know block it out I think you know credit to him um, I, I was trying to ask people that were in the uh, stands who is it that's booing or, or why are they booing you know him um, and some people were saying there's Palace fans in there but also people were accepting yeah it was United fans um Oddly, um, before the game was in the Crafty Squire, which is a pub that Andy knows well, which is where we went to meet United fans. That's where they sort of um, got together beforehand and, and after the games um, in Melbourne. And they were singing his song. I mean, I don't really hear his song all that much at Old Trafford because it's probably not the best song, is it? Let's let's have it right. It's not like, you know, a, a kind of yip-yap stam. It's uh, not our song either, is it? Which United fans I suppose do have there a bit is of an that. issue with. Yeah. yeah, okay. So maybe we need a new song anyway. But the, the, the prevailing mood, though, was this is a guy we're going to get behind. This is, you know, this is the captain. Eric Ten Hag's made that very clear and he's going he's gonna to be a first-team starter. So um, I don't know if it was some kind of reaction to 
you know, what you might claim is a mistake against Melbourne Victory for, you know, the guy that scored and kind of got away from him, whether it was the fact that some people haven't had a chance to voice what they feel about Maguire. You know, it's, it, for them, it's in Australia, you know, it's miles away, it's, it's message boards and, and, and Twitter uh, is the other alternative. Or, or was it that, you know, Ten Hag had come out so strongly um, in support of Maguire and they kind of wanted to make their voices heard. It was a bit pantomime. It wasn't like, you know, serious aggression. It was kind of like, here's a baddie that we can heckle. But nonetheless, it was curious to see. And I guess as Donny van der Beek said afterwards, you kind of have to go, listen, he came through it. He played a really good game. Um, it wasn't that he was nervous on the ball because of the booze. You know, he, he held on to it in certain moments to dribble past people and, and get it away. So, you know, I, I kind of think that Hopefully that's the end of it, but you know it, it, the only way you can get past it is by playing well. Yeah, exactly. With Maguire though, he's not hiding, is he? He's not handing the captaincy back. He's not asking to leave the club. He's had so much criticism, and he's standing up in the face of it now. And I really hope that he comes through this period and this time next year on the pre-season tour, people are cheering his name because for a United player to go through that in pre-season friendly with your own supporters when you're the captain of the team even if his displays were below his standards that he'd set for United previously and for England and Leicester before that. He said it himself that he, he didn't think last year was good. So it seems like he's trying to approach it in the right way. Andy? He had a good game, that's the bottom line. I, I tweeted my feelings, I used the word whoppers. Um, I, I'd, origin, <laughs> I'd originally written uh, Bell uh, followed by E-N-D-S and I was sat next to um, Simon Peach, the PA journalist, he said, do you not think that's a little bit strong? I said, no. He said, well, you might live to regret that because you're going to get loads of people on your case. But I tweeted the word whoppers out. Good Incidentally, word. Burger King is not allowed to be called Burger King in Australia. It's called Happy Jacks. Uh, but I don't think you should pay money to go to support your team and then boo your captain at the start of the season. If he's had a run of terrible games, maybe there's a case for making your feelings known. He was a good player up until uh, May 21 for Manchester United. I get we were all mourning the fact that he wasn't in the Europa League yeah. final, weren't we, when he got injured there's, at Villa? There's a, lot, a lot of United fans online don't like him. And I don't think he'd get booed uh, at Old Trafford at the start of the season. I think he'll be supported. And it, it sort of... The booing stopped after like seven or eight minutes. It was weird. It was just at the start. And there were definitely some United fans doing the booing. And maybe there's an element of some Palace fans or pantomime villain. Maybe some saw it as a bit of a laugh as well. But the bottom line was it was clearly audible to everyone in that stadium. And it wasn't just once. It happened five or six times because he touched the ball five or six times because he was highly involved in a game which he played really well in. It, it was it was just an odd one, but you do get odd things happening on pre-season tours. I, I once seen Fabian Bartes play on the left wing for Manchester United <laughs> on a pre-season tour. It, it made the headlines, and Harry knows he didn't have a good season last year, but he wasn't the only one. But there, there are a significant number of Manchester United fans who are not having him, and they're entitled to that opinion, and they don't think he should be Manchester United captain. I thought it was pretty poor of anyone who booed him in Melbourne. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right. Well, we've getting. Uh, I'm not going to say it with the football. Um, we should really reflect on what Melbourne was like for for you, Laurie, and you, Andy, as well, because, like you've said, you met up for a pint. But Laurie, you also interacted with a lot of Athletic subscribers over there as well, and it was good to hear 
that they're enjoying seeing Manchester United up close and personal. Yeah, it was really nice, actually. It was a sort of an idea that we had where we thought, listen, we're coming all this way. We've got subscribers over in Melbourne, in, in Australia. Um, let's put an email out and see if anyone turns up. Um, so I sort of suggested Section 8, which is like a little outdoor um, bar with like crates where you sit on. Um, really cool, actually. Again, reminded me a little bit of Manchester. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, so I was there at two o'clock when I'd said I'd be there. Got my Diet Coke in, no fancy. I thought I'd keep it, keep it um, straight this time. Um uh, and I was there for sort of 10 minutes but on my own thinking, no one's going to show up here. Uh, this is fine. You know, I can do some admin. Um, it's, no, no, it's like dating again for you, Laurie, isn't it? Genuinely, you know, it was like, it, it was the most nervous I've felt in, in, uh, for years and years uh, because I was just like, is anyone going to show up? Are they going to like me in, in the flesh? You know, am I going to think of the right things to say? Um, ultimately, um, Nathan was the first one who, who showed up. He's got a radio station um, over in Sydney. And then Chris, who's from Wigan, um, he's he's uh, now living over in uh, Melbourne. He, he showed up. So it was us two for a while. And then a group of lads um, and, and one girl called Jess uh, showed up who uh, they were from the Sydney Supporters Club. So basically quite a lot of people had come in from other parts of Australia to watch these games in Melbourne. It wasn't all sort of Melbourne. Had a really great chat. Um, Larry um, Taylor was someone who's got a YouTube channel and, and we spoke to him later at the, at the Crafty Squire um, pub. Should we hear from Larry? Yeah, let's, let's hear from Larry now then, yeah. So we're here in the Crafty Squire. Uh, it's myself with Larry, who is... What's your position in the Sydney Sports Club? Oh, just a member. He's just a member. I'm not important. <laughs> he's not important, but he's a very nice man. Can you just tell me a little bit about why you support Manchester United and, and what it means for you to be able to go and watch them in person? Yeah, I mean, if you're, a, if you're from the UK or you're from Manchester, there is this stigma that you almost get placed upon you when you're abroad. Um, Falling in love with Manchester United was basically the first football team I watched. I liked the colour red. I was seven years old. I saw Wayne Rooney. I was into that. Uh, so that, that's pretty much the top and bottom of it. And then you just fall in love with it. The football in Australia, with all due respect to the A-League, isn't of the elite calibre. So when you watch abroad and you see the quality, it's quite easy to fall in love with. And then it's just something that I've grown into as I've gotten older. And we're here today, the Crafty Squire, which is like uh, a kind of meeting place, isn't it, for uh, Man United supporters. We can hear the songs going off. You, you were here before the Melbourne Victory game as well, and afterwards, were you? I mean, it, yeah, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you make of having a place like this in Melbourne to, to call home for a while? Yeah, it's excellent. I mean, obviously, I'm, I've had the opportunity to go to Manchester, and it's been brilliant, and particularly on an away game. I, I compare this to an away pre-away yeah, game. Yeah. You know, you get the fans together, everyone's having a good time, having a few drinks, sure. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's good to have a sing-along, come together, because we don't get to watch Manchester United every week. So I think it's better than the alternative 3 a.m. wake-up, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... I mean, and you, you spent money coming over here, though. obviously, you're from Sydney, yeah. but this has been a, it's not like you can go, you know, just walk down the road and you're there at the Melbourne cricket ground. Um, can you just talk to me a bit a little about that? Was it a debate about whether you were going to come here or was it like as soon as you knew that United were in pre-season in Australia, you were going to make it? The news came out. Uh, I booked my flight about two hours later. So <laughs> never a debate. You get the opportunity to watch Manchester United. It's always the hottest ticket in town. You go watch it, whether it's pre-season or a Champions League final, you have to go watch United. And how do you watch them then, yeah, when they are three o'clock in the morning how does that do you set your alarm do you have to sort of make a call on which ones you get up for or do you see the night through how does it work all right the plan is if it's a so if you're lucky on a saturday night 9 30 p.m kickoff you're happy that's when you go to the pub you join people you sing along you watch the game if it's i, I tell you something every time men united versus liverpool it's monday morning and it's 3 a.m forget it it's always going to happen so when that happens you do have to set an alarm uh, if you're especially like me if you work a nine to five job just have to set the alarm you watch the game if they lose you're not going to work very well if they win you'll be able to power through <laughs> I love that so you just you do go to work after you've been so up from in the early hours nothing a couple cups of coffee can't fix mate <laughs> and it's good coffee in Melbourne is it good coffee in Sydney oh yeah the, the best coffee with all, no, Melbourne is very good for coffee I, I'll be respectful being a host here but no um, look the coffee in Australia is good I will I will be on record and saying Australia has the best coffee in the world no. Um, and you've been across to Manchester though what, what games do you manage to get to see in person at Old Trafford or elsewhere? Funnily enough the two games I've done have been away games uh, I got to do Swansea 4-0 under Mourinho in the away end that was a good time Lukaku in the first half then Mkhitaryan Pogba Martial second half memories being tested there <laughs> that's good good work there thank you uh, and then I had under Solskjaer's first full season the 1-0 at the Manolu which succeeded the 4-0 at home against Chelsea yeah so uh, yeah two away games so I'm very much looking forward to getting a home game in great um, 
I think I was at that one at, at Molyneux as well. It, it was a bit, bit of a tight squeeze one in that game. Um, so yeah, you, you're hoping for getting across to one in the coming days, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hoping to be there for Brighton uh, at home uh, for the opening game of the season should be a wonderful experience and United need to get some retribution considering how things ended up uh, when we versed Brighton last time out so hopefully it'll be a better result What have you made of Eric Ten Hag and, and the kind of this situation at United at the moment does it give you confidence or are you still a little bit circumspect about what the season might bring he's definitely bringing a confidence I, I like that he's so assured in his own character with all due respect to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who is a United legend you always had that element of, is he trying to be Sir Alex Ferguson? Is he his own man? Does he have the confidence to push a nose out of line? With Ten Hag, the way he came into his opening press conference and the confidence to say, more or less, a paraphrasing here, but an era must come to an end with respect to Liverpool and Manchester City, that takes confidence, considering that United had just lost 1-0 to Crystal Palace, 4-0 to Brighton in the weeks previous to that. That's someone who believes in himself. He's come in, he's implemented a pressing system, and in the early, I mean, we've only seen two games. Martial looks lean, fit. No one's talking about it. He couldn't. He wanted to be anywhere but Manchester back in January. Desperate now. Looks season number nine as an opportunity to take with Ronaldo. They're pressing. They're working hard. That wasn't the case last season. So you have to be, it's early days, but you have to be impressed with what you're seeing. And you've been able to see some of the players over here. Did you go to the, the shirt um, unveiling, the away shirt unveiling, which was kind of wild that, that night, wasn't it, yeah. at, at Federation Square? Um, and at the hotel as well. You, you've been there with uh, some of your friends and, and Jess, you, you, your girlfriend. Is that OK? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of seeing the players, I've spent way too much outside other grown men's hotels. Uh, but yes, uh, I was outside the, the hotel uh, here in Melbourne two and a half hours on Saturday in the freezing cold, nine degrees. But Bruno Fernandes, kind enough to sign the flag, got a photo with a few players. McTominay, absolute gent of a human being. So, like, you know, th those small touches that remind you that these guys are human as opposed to the robots that we treat them as. <laughs> yeah, that's great, Larry. Well, listen, thanks so much for your time uh, and have a good night. Yeah, cheers, Larry. Carl, great to hear Manchester United fans enjoying it, like I said before, really. And hearing from Larry, too, um, the sense that he just had to be there at the game. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it, this is this is fun. This is enjoyable. It's it's the most I've smiled watching Manchester United in a long time, and it's nice to hear the same thoughts from so many other United fans around the world. Simple as, yeah. Andy, how did you feel that the fans felt about United, considering the way that the last last season went, and it's been a while since they've seen United lift a trophy, even if they are on the other side of the world. No, it's been five years, hasn't it? I think that um, the great thing about a football season uh, and the football calendar is that there's a natural reset and I think football fans all around the world will be at their most optimistic points right now. Last season was a write-off, it was awful. You speak to United fans, they get that. The, you speak to some of the supporters club and, and the numbers are a little bit down, it's a bit flat, they've been struggling to get the numbers together in comparison to when Manchester United were, were, were better but I think United fans have enjoyed all three pre-season games so far I certainly have and I share Carl's sentiment that it's been really enjoyable to watch some of that movement you've got some really really good footballers whose reputations have been badly damaged by poor performances so to see Jadon Sancho for example we were so excited when he signed and to see him playing well and combining with Anthony Martial, would United fans have complained if Martial would have been sold in June? I don't think that many would have done. And we're watching him now. And his control when he took a ball down last night reminded me of when Marcus Rashford did it in Granada in the Europa League. And that led to a goal. And it's really good to see. And you've seen the manager who does not fear any reputations of any of his players, he's strict on his discipline and I'm feeling alright about them I, I don't think we're going to be looking at a title winning team this year because the opponents are so so good but I'm feeling I think as good as we can do about Manchester United at the moment and if he gets uh, one or two players in who he wants then that will increase the mood even further I think what's also been promising about these pre-season games is it almost retroactively make some of the decisions Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made make more sense. So watching Donny van der Beek connect with Jadon Sancho on the right-hand side, you know, Donny as the 10 sort of bursting through to the right half space, connecting for that second goal. Like, yes, that is exactly what Donny is for. That's what he's good at. That's why they brought Sancho in. I'm like, oh, I now know what Solskjaer had planned for this move. 
Um, and I think that's been quite nice. You can almost erase the interim spell of, of a man who had very entertaining press conferences and get back to, to talking about football all of a sudden. Yeah, I think we're all pleased to do that. Um, Andy mentioned a moment ago there's a couple of players still to join the Manchester United tour. Of course, Christian Eriksen, who signed on a free transfer, and Ten Hag spoke quite openly with you, Laurie, and others about how Manchester United fans should be excited about his arrival and the creativity that he can bring to this Manchester United team. And also now, Lissandro Martinez has signed two since we last recorded. You've written about Manchester United outgunning the Gunners for Martinez, Laurie. Is this going to be an important piece of business, do you think? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, isn't it, in the end? And I suppose £55 million, something like that, won't it? You know, it's the second most expensive defender in United's history behind Harry Maguire. Um, and, and clearly, at the end, Ajax were uh, putting oh, on s- s- some more transfer... Uh, some more... <laughs> so I'll start that again. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're live here, boys, in Adelaide. I'm really sorry, Laurie, because you're making a good it's, point. No, no, not, no, not <laughs> Let's come back to Martinez in a minute. Who have you got with you, Andy? I've got Alex, who's the main lad of the Adelaide Reds. Say hello, Alex. They can hear you. Hey, guys. How are you going? It's a pleasure to meet you guys. I've uh, definitely seen you guys on uh, certain channels like Sky and ESPN, so it's uh, finally good to meet you all. you got to say uh, ESPN. Pers- They're like a main rival. You've oh, got are to they? Right. We're in Australia. We're in Australia. You only hear us on the podcast, Alex. Hello. That's a Manchester accent. How are we doing? Who, who else is with us? So we've got Paul, we've got Adam, we've got uh, Alex, and they are Adelaide Manchester United fans. They've all just been to Melbourne, and they've all got different stories, and it's difficult to get... How do you think United are going to do this season very quickly? Well, they'd have to bet them last season. Yeah. So I'd try to be optimistic. So, yeah, get a few signings. You left Manchester in what year? In 78. Do you reckon you could do a Manchester accent again? Because you oh, sounded you want, really Australian. Do you, do you want to know something about my accent? It's Australian. Do you want to know why? Go on. Because when I came here, yeah. I went to school, nobody talked to me right. for four years. Started DJing, and my boss said to me, you've got a choice. He said, you can be a, a very good DJ or I'm going to sack you. So he sent me to get rid of my accent. Right. And I made a career for 25 years. Right. That's good. Could you do Manchester now if I asked you again? <laughs> really? Because I had and a condition down. You've lived in Side, you've lived in Hume, you've lived in Urmston, Flixton, yep. and you couldn't do you, Manchester. You know why? Because he conditioned it out of me. I went to a voice coach for a year. Wow. That's mental. That is crazy. Alex, how are you feeling about United this season? Definitely more confident than I was the last two seasons. So uh, considering I've got a new manager now with uh, Eric Ten Hag and the way he's distributing his, uh, you know, um, philosophy and the ways trying to play it more attacking football and the way you can see those effective passes going so quick inside the box and it's just looking a lot more entertaining than it was you know the last few times we've I know it was a good fun time with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer then we had a bit of a transition period but I think it's uh, definitely going to be more worthwhile can you year. do a Manchester accent oh yeah it's all proper isn't it you've lived in Manchester a bit <laughs> yeah, yeah I did you've got, a yeah. Great, you've got a great voice can you sing Oh, I can sing, but I can't sing now. My voice is completely gone. But I can do like a, a baritone, like we dance underneath the rain. Like that's all I can do right now. <laughs> sing one United song. You can tell that it's not eleven o'clock uh, in the morning in Australia. Sing to point, start off with, take me home, United Road, to a place where I belong. I belong to Old Trafford. <laughs> sing United. Take me home, take me home. United Road. This is what I can do right now. The, Ad- the Adelaide Reds, ladies and gentlemen, with Laurie needing absolutely no encouragement to join in with them. <laughs> <laughs> right, boys, I'll come over in a uh, second. Thank you, Andy. Brilliant. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for doing that. Um, right, where were we, Laurie? We are talking about Lissandro Martinez. I want more, I want more songs. Alex was <laughs> a beautiful voice, that. That was in- inspirational. Husky. Yeah. Um, listen, well, maybe Alex can conjure up a Lisandro Martinez song because I kind of feel like he might be a bit of a cult figure for United Just shout Argentina if, loudly if it all goes right pump your fist well that's yeah. it well, well so apparently Gabriel Heinz is a, a bit of a hero of his um, and that was something that Ten Hag mentioned in his, um, in his t- talk with us the aggressiveness that he brings the, the sort of South American spirit maybe is that something that United's backline has, has missed um, you know his kind of interception his anticipation we all know about the 5 foot 9 inch height and you know Ten Hag sort of dismissed that and said listen he's you know, okay, he's not uh, the tallest, but he can get up in the air and he can he can head the ball and he can, you know, most of football is played on the deck. So there's, a, I think there's a, the game against Borussia Dortmund where he basically shackled Erling Haaland um, pretty well. It was a 4-0 win for Ajax and, you know, and he's pretty tall. So um, you hope that that might <laughs> bode well. But yeah, in the end, it was a lot of money and I think Ajax certainly 
certainly squeezed United knowing that this was a player that, that Eriksen Haag really wanted and that they didn't want to lose for a, you know, a, a price that they weren't happy with. So there's a little bit of negotiation at the end to get it over the line. But you have to say that United are back in Ten Hag for sure. Um, this is a player that I don't think was you know top, top of their list. Um, they had other, other opportunities such as Pau Torres, but he's a player that understands Ten Hag's methods and Ten Hag likes players that he can communicate with in that sense and he can transmit it to other players as well you know so he's a bit of a lieutenant maybe in his team um so I'm interested to see how it goes but obviously we'll have to wait until the Oslo game for that yeah there's quite a detailed piece isn't there on the athletic that you've written along with Art Roach and others um breaking down Martinez's game Carl I know you've watched a lot of Ajax a lot of Ten Hag's Ajax uh, in recent times for different articles and of course because of your other half's persuasion as well should we be excited about seeing this guy defend? Is he is he going to be a Gabriel Heinz or is he going to be a Marcus <laughs> Rocco or is he going to be something in between or something different? I'm just referencing random Argentinian defenders now. I honestly have no idea what Louis van Gaal saw in Marcus Rocco. I really that you know I I've interviewed Louis van Gaal once and I should have probably asked him what did you see in Rocco. <laughs> But uh, that one always baffled me. I, think I quite that- liked Rocco. I, I know I probably shouldn't have done, but do you remember that Arsenal game where he just absolutely battered into everyone and he'd not played for ages and he didn't play for ages afterwards, but he just put himself right about and it felt like what Old Trafford needed at that very moment. Yeah. I'm hoping Bit that Martinez... Yeah, I'm hoping that Martinez is maybe a more consistent player. And he's strangely, never got a direct red card while playing for United, Mr. Rojo, which always feels weird when someone... Should have done that game. Yeah, 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 yeah. With Marcus, I think it ran in his family. I once went to see his family in La Plata and his mum invited me into the house and I, I met his brother and I came away from that meeting and spending a day with him thinking it's not just Marcus who has certain character characteristics. Uh, his brother took me out in his car and maybe health and safety wasn't his primary concern as he drove down the motorway <laughs> to introduce me to Estudiantes' uh, ultras uh, a law-abiding group of individuals, as you can well imagine, in an extremely rough part of, of Argentina. Um, I'm absolutely sure that his brother's got a fully legitimate driving license, that his car passed its MOT, and he observed all speed limits. Uh, it was hair-raising, trust me. I felt like going through the Kyber Pass in one of them <laughs> mental trucks would have been easier than going in a car with Marcus Rojo's brother. Nice. Uh, is it going to be hair-raising watching Martinez, though, Carl? There are some concerns, certainly from set pieces, which the, the piece on the athletic details that his height may be an issue. Uh, it's going to be an interesting transition for him because, like we alluded to with Malassia earlier, obviously the physicality of the Premier League is totally different to the Eredivisie. Yes, I think this is very much going to be a question of technical talent over any physical prowess. Uh, one of the big things with Martinez is his passing from deep. So while he did play a number of games in defensive midfield, particularly in the 1920 season, sort of the missing Ajax team, like where the season was cut short due to COVID, he, you know, I've, I've done some more research and I've looked into what Laurie said. And Martinez very much does seem to be the idea at centre-back. Um, and his passing from deep will be really important. If you think about how United often attack down the left with Luke Shaw, now Malassia and Marcus Rashford, Martinez will be really important there. I think it will also work as sort of a compound interest if Frankie de Jong comes together as well. So you really build that channel of Martinez passes to, to de Jong, de Jong ball carries up to the other, you know, the next penalty area. And then they have the interchanging with Malasia possibly cutting, undercutting, playing with Rashford and whatnot there. So I can understand why they've gone for Martinez. I do feel as if the fee is, is a little expensive, but I can also understand that Ten Hag wants to essentially rebuild the spine of this side. If you think about how you know, in 2019-2020, the spine of the United team was De Gea, Maguire, McFred, and then eventually Bruno Fernandes and Anthony Martial. Now we're going in with a De Gea, Martinez, possibly De Jong, Fernandes, and then a striker. This is going to be a, a different Manchester United. And I am not as scared about his height as I was three or four weeks ago. Okay. He played, he was a centre-back partnership with Jurian Timber at Ajax last season. Timber's not six foot either. And Ajax conceded only 19 goals in the league. You know, yes, okay, Eric Davide isn't quite the league that uh, the Premier League is. But, but, you know, Burnley aren't in the Premier League next season. So I'm slightly calm. <laughs> yeah, that would have been an interesting experience uh, going to Turf more earlier on in the season if that had uh, indeed what had happened. Um, right, 
there was an interesting point in there about Martinez knowing Ten Hag and knowing his methods because already we're seeing him trying to put his ideas across. It looks like he's made a pretty sort of instant impact with the players considering the way that the friendlies have gone so far. And we're also hearing from the players as well about how they're dealing with the new instructions and the new regime and the new coaches and everything else. And Laurie, you've been speaking to Bruno Fernandes about just that. So let's get an idea about what Bruno's thinking. Of course, a player who plays in a position where risks are expected for a manager who doesn't like the ball being given away very often. And uh, he bristled a bit at the question on that. He wants me to do assists anyway, so we, I, I, have to, I have to try it. So I don't understand that uh, that kind of questions of keeping the ball or whatever it is. I, have, I keep the ball when I think I have to keep it. I I, I try my pass when I when I, I think I have to do it. And sometimes goes good, sometimes goes wrong. Obviously, when it goes wrong, I know that I should that shouldn't be the one. But it's it's some, sometimes when you play in the ten position, you have two seconds to think, control the ball, and doing the pass. So it's not that much time to think. Uh, I understand every person that has, has his own opinion, uh, but when I arrived in 2020, I was losing the same amount of balls in that six months. The year after, I lost the same amount of balls, but I scored 28 goals, so people doesn't doesn't complain about that. Uh, now last season, because I scored only 10, because for people it's only 10 goals, people start complaining, but I, I'm okay with that. I don't worry. Thanks. Uh, I, I do my, my best. I, I know that I give always my best. I always try to help my teammates. They know that even when I miss the passes, it's trying to give something to them. So uh, I'm okay with that. Obviously, I will have to do what the coach demands from me. And what he demands from me, I will do it because he's, he thinks he's the best for the team. And for me, the best of the team is the best for me. It's going to be interesting for Bruno Laurie, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you kind of think... There's, there's questions, wasn't there, about would he fit into a Ten Hag side where basically Bruno's a risk and reward player, can produce the Hollywood pass that splits the defence like nobody else can, but can also give it away fairly frequently. Um, I think it's something like 70 odd percent uh, pass completion rate, which is, you know, low for um, someone, you know, instrumental in midfield. Um, that being said, under Solskjaer, he definitely was tasked with trying things to get, you know, a, a team that was short on creativity into scoring goals. Um, I, I don't know, I wonder, I'd, I'd love to look at the stats, but just to the naked eye, it does seem like maybe he's playing slightly differently under Ten Hag. I mean, he, he looks refreshed, he looks confident. He does, doesn't he? He's, he's, yeah. he's trying things and, and they're, they're coming off. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, specific instructions or whether he's he's got players around him that kind of match what he's talking about in terms of, you know, Marshall, Rashford and, um, and Sancho. Um, you know, you do wonder... The Cristiano Ronaldo dynamic does that change things? I, I I don't know if they necessarily link up to perfection, um, Bruno and and Ronaldo. So that's kind of one to have a look at, you know, if when Ronaldo does come back. Um, but I do feel that you know he clearly doesn't like the idea that he's not been producing his goods. I, I don't think. I think he, he I think he would defend himself in that regard. Certainly in terms of the numbers, you know, he's been taking off penalties. Um, but I think when you're a player that is asked to create a lot, then you're going to get moments where you give the ball away. It's just getting that balance right. But it is interesting that he's been playing number 10 because we all thought, is it going to be 4-3-3 under Ten Hag where Bruno is one of the number eights? Well, actually, so far, it's 4-2-3-1. I don't know if that would change if they do get Frankie de Jong, although, again, as we'll perhaps come on to, Frankie de Jong looks to be a holding midfielder according to Eric Ten Hag, so would he be one of those two sixes? So Bruno Fernandes is the number 10, um, might continue and, and listen it, this so far in pre-season has given us an indication as to how he might play under under Ten Hag I think one of the big differences for Bruno Fernandes in these pre-season games is Jadon Sancho who is playing on the right hand side and gives just that extra passing angle you think about how the majority of last season the more consistent offering on the right side of attack was Anthony Alanga who is a promising young player but very much wants to run in behind and doesn't really have the, the playmaking skills and the on-ball creation skills of of Jadon Sancho and I think having Sancho in there also having Malasia and Dallo doing underlapping plays and going into those central areas gives Bruno Fernandes more passing options we know Bruno Fernandes can do the Hollywood ball but I think the big thing for Ten Hag will be essentially to teach Bruno he doesn't always have to look for the Hollywood ball that there are going to be players in and around him and I think also you want to properly channel uh, Fernandes's pressing runs so something that's also been quite impressive is how United counter press so there was a point, I want to say around about the 35th minute, where United strung together six or seven passes, didn't really look too panicked about losing the ball. Uh, and I remember looking going, hang on, this is this is nice. This is new. They're not rushing it. Uh, and then they did lose the ball and immediately won it back and then started the counter-attack when Crystal Palace thought they had had the aim. So uh, after the game, Ten Hag said, 
the result, the good result of pressing football is winning a goal. Uh, instead, you, know, you, you, you win the goal and you don't really think about the energy that you've exerted during the press. And I think that's going to be really big for Fernandes and everyone in attack, which is just, you're not on your own. Just look up a little bit more. Okay, well, if you want to know more about what Bruno Fernandes had to say, the article will be up on The Athletic now. And of course, if you're not subscribed, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pub where you can subscribe now for just £1 a month for the first six months. You get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts as well, including this one. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, then let's do it. We said last week that we we're always going to have a Frankie de Jong section on the podcast moving forward. And of course, we said at that point that it may be advisable for us to have some sort of theme music for the de Jong section each time. So thank you to everyone. We had a brilliant response of suggestions. So here are the best suggestions in our very own Frankie de Jong chart. Counting down from six, it feels like Groundhog Day, so it has to be Sonny and Cher. In at five, Frankie says, relax. The Fab Four at four, De Jong and Winding Road. Sister Sledge sliding into three, remember this. At two, it's Jimmy Cliff, let your yeah be yeah. But our number one theme, George Harrison returns solo with the best of the bunch. Could these lyrics be any more on the nose? Brilliant. That was Tom Drew on Twitter who suggested Got My Mind Set On You by George Harrison and the lyrics are literally absolutely perfect. As entertaining as, as that was, I'm sure people will actually want some sort of update on the De Jong situation. Andy Mitten, do we have one? Circumstances haven't really changed. The fundamentals are there. He's been agreed for the player. Going to take money, isn't it? A lot more money. two clubs, yeah. I spoke to... Um, an agent at the weekend about the situation and this agent has done some some very big deals and he just said it was outrageous what Barcelona are doing it's morally wrong he's already taken a pay cut he's deferred his wages they're trying to guilt trip him into leaving it's not Frankie's uh, issue that Barcelona was so badly run so I get that perspective 
Um, there's quite a few untruths around, like when Joanne Laporta said a few weeks ago, Frankie de Jong is not for sale, except he is for sale. That's because the club he's the president of have done a deal to sell him. So I think, um, I said maybe a week or two ago, 60-40 it will come. But, but United really want him. Eric Tenag really, really wants him. But Barcelona really wanted him. There was no plan B for Barcelona when they signed him. And he could have gone to City and earned more money. He could have gone to PSG and earned a lot more money. Could have gone to Tottenham in 18, a year before he joined Barca. And he just wanted, with his with his girlfriend, now his fiance, to be in a place where they were happy living. He's very happy in, in Barcelona. But I, I, I think um, that... The, the, the club will get their way um, I think that pressure will be put on, if not on him then on his manager to the point that look we need to sell him we need the money and I might be wrong there but I'd still say it's 60-40 that he'll sign but I, I spoke to a lot of people about him and I've watched him a lot as well but when I speak to professionals about him managers are totally struck on him absolutely seems fundamental to what Eric Ten Hag wants, very specifics that he thinks is the only player. I'll give you one example. When the ball is moving out of defence, he thinks that Frankie de Jong's speed of four is far quicker than other players, including those at Manchester United. He can move the ball quickly through the lines. And he's got a range of skills, Frankie de Jong. That's why he was so coveted. And Barcelona's it's not really worked out for him. It's been 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10. But I think United will be patient. I don't think United... I know United will not um, put pressure on him to, to leave because that's not a good look either. So that, 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 that's where we're at at the moment. There has been a campaign that you had on social media certainly quite strongly a few weeks ago, Andy, to try and get him <laughs> to come to Manchester, including the price of buses, I think um, you mentioned, which was a key aspect that is in his consideration, we understand. Um, but, Laurie, we have had a little tease of De Jong on a pitch with Beckham and Neville, which might excite Manchester United supporters. Yeah, he came on at half-time, didn't he, for Barcelona at centre-back. So <laughs> He won't um, have you know... to play centre-back in Manchester. <laughs> Just come, mate. You can have the freedom of midfield. Well, that's it for all the debate about, you know, what's his position, what's Eric Tenag thinking. I mean, Barcelona putting him at centre-back, is that part of their strategy to force him out? Or is that, you know, just, <laughs> you know, horses for courses away in, in Miami, um, yeah, which is where they're on pre-season tour. I mean, that is kind of significant that he's gone on Barcelona's pre-season tour. You know, you sort of think, well, that's an, another, you know, few days, another few weeks, perhaps that, you know, this isn't going to get resolved. And, and when do you kind of draw the line and say, right, we need to move on? Um I mean, when we asked Tenag about it uh, this week, he said that um, he answered the question. He didn't want to speak specifically about De Jong, but he answered the question in terms of what he wants from a holding midfielder, which was kind of interesting. So that's how, obviously how he sees him um, as someone that, as Andy says, can pick the ball up from defence and uh, and kind of keep possession well. Not not a tackler as such, not someone that's going to go destroy, which is kind of the English perception, I suppose, of a defensive midfielder, but actually somebody that can strangle the life out of the opposition by holding on to the ball, which is, is kind of refreshing and pretty exciting if United can get him in that regard. Um, but then he also said, if we don't get him, we do have other options. Um, and I think, Carl, you're sort of beaving away a, a, an article on that at the moment in terms of who else that could be. But also he said, we'll have to make one. If we, don't, if we can't buy one, we can make one. Um, so that then opens the door up to, are you talking about players that are already in the building, senior players such as Scott McTominay or Fred in terms of repurposing them? But then again, you know, we've tried that really, haven't we? Uh, other managers have, have looked at that. Or would it be crafting a player from, from younger? So, you know, James Garner, who we haven't seen on tour yet because of injury. Or do we even go as far as Charlie Savage, Zidane Iqbal? I mean, they, they're young. I mean, I'd be surprised if that's you know, ultimately the route they go down for all that they've impressed on tour. But that's kind of what Eriksen Haag was hinting at. So interesting uh, few weeks ahead, I think. Yeah, definitely. Andy, I'm going to let you go, um, if that's all right. So you can go and meet the Adelaide Reds. We can hear the uh, atmosphere building over there. So I'm sure you're in for a great night. Thanks for being with us. Cheers. Got loads of good stuff coming up in The Athletic. I've been speaking to various players as well, as well as the fans. So I'll uh, get typing away and get writing stuff up over the next few days. Cheers, lads. Don't be pretending that you're going typing. You're going drinking, mate. Come on. Go and have a you few can't more pints, over Andy. our eyes. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> He'll be typing up his Fred interview with one eye open and one eye closed tomorrow, I think, after a few bevies in Adelaide tonight. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, we should say at this point as well, the Beckham and Neville thing, 
Barcelona were playing into Miami, of course, managed by Phil Neville, who brought on his son Harvey uh, and also brought on David Beckham's son uh, Romeo to get a taste of facing Barcelona, which was, I'm sure, an interesting experience for them in a 6-0 defeat. Uh, But as Laurie mentioned, he was speaking to Ten Hag about what he needed from this number six position. And this is exactly what the Manchester United manager had to say about the missing piece in his team. We're looking for a player who can play in the holding midfield position, but it has to be uh, the right the right one. And there are not many in that position uh, capable on the level uh, we demand. And when we, not, uh, when we can't find them, we have to do it and to deal with the players who are now in our squad and we will develop one in that position. I, I will not um, react on a certain player. Huh? It's, we need the right player and we have a list and who we qualify as, as the, the players who, are, the, who has the competences to play that role and we will strike in the moment and the player is available. So Carl, interesting actually because I think we all thought that if it wasn't De Jong, it was going to be someone else brought in, someone else targeted. But the way that he's speaking, it seems like he's got an idea that someone in his squad already could be moulded into this number six, which again is a is a different thing for Manchester United fans. To the idea of a, a player being moulded for a certain role, we've not seen a great deal of that in recent times. No, we have not. I think we're get, beginning to get a sense of how good Ten Hag's poker face is. I... I'm very much of the belief that Frankie de Jong is the plan A and I would be very surprised if United don't have a plan B or a contingency plan. I think I'm going to try and write a piece sometime in the next seven days about here's who United might go shopping for instead. But I think what we're getting to here is is a point where we are beginning to realise just how good Ten Hag is as a tracksuit manager and how good he is as a coach. We're already seeing the sort of inverted fullbacks we're seeing a, a brighter and better Jaden Sancho. Something that's also interesting me in these preseason games is Alex Talese being played as a centre back. I don't think Ten Hag wants to turn Talese into a centre back. I think Talese is sort of in air quotes playing the role of the Sandro Martinez and being a left-footed centre back and basically getting the rest of the team prepped, ready for a left-footed centre back in that role as well. So Ten Hag has a longer view of the room and what Manchester United want to play than a lot of us who are still probably thinking week to week and thinking about, oh, how are we going to approach August where Ten Hag's already talking about the impact of the World Cup and how Bayer isn't going to travel and therefore he needs to thicken his squad out in certain ways in there. Frankie Young's such a weird player and so unique that it's hard to get someone who is exactly like him if you can't afford him in the transfer market. But if you are one of those big nerds like me that enjoyed watching Moneyball, I'm pretty sure you could probably find one or two players who can replace Frankie de Jong at least in aggregate yeah I was kind of intrigued that he suggested that he could craft one from within but listen I suppose that's what he's there for he is a coach you know he's on the fields and if he's seen hints of what he can get then that that is interesting I mean I think also the, I suppose you've got to have some reservations though that you know United are trying to spend a lot of money on Frankie de Jong um, so is there really going to be someone within the squad or you know someone else that he could get that would actually do that job as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of big pressure, as I said already. You know, it, it, I think um, Richard Arnold and John Murtagh have, have, have delivered what Ten Hag's wanted, uh, and that obviously brings its own debate in terms of the recruitment um, department suggestions. But for this first summer, you can understand them. Um, you know, subscribing to what Ten Hag wants. But but De Jong is the kind of crucial piece in the jigsaw. So if that doesn't fall, then it, it does leave um, some question marks about how this team would then progress. But listen, Ten Hag clearly has, has got. Um, clear ideas about what, how he wants to go about it so it's kind of as I say interesting few weeks ahead Yeah absolutely just to round it off then the last question Laurie is Frankie de Jong going to be the last target for Manchester United or do you get a sense that there might still be business done elsewhere Yeah I could, I could see something else happening um, but for, for, for the time they could do Martinez they could do um, Malassia they could do Christian Eriksen you know they ideally they wanted to have De Jong in first but they, they could do those other ones around that I think they're now thinking we need to sort of get a, a, a clear idea on De Jong but um, you know there is a suggestion that there was another player you know, that, that they would like to bring in I mean Ten Hag obviously mentioned offence didn't he in, in his um, pre-match against Liverpool press conference um, and you know the situation with Ronaldo is still not totally resolved so <laughs> although he, he did obviously mention that he's got this extra year in his, his contract you know so even from it forward to you know 2024 I think it is now so um, yeah we'll, we'll see on that one but 
he has mentioned offense as, as an area that he'd like to strengthen. You know, the links with Anthony are there, but you know, he's you know too expensive for, for what United are after. Um, you know, certainly um, if they're going to get De Jong. So, um, but that's perhaps the one only other area that I could see them trying to get a player in before deadline. Carl, you'll be relieved as well to know that it's not going to be Dybala because he's <laughs> he's joining Roma as the Athletic has revealed, which you mentioned last week. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure you're pleased about that. Dybala with Tammy Abraham is the exact sort of transfer. I'm glad United didn't pick him up, but also is going to have a moment where they have a great weekend and we'll, you know, United fans will be looking on social media going, oh, I wish we got him. Yeah, we'll see the highlight clips, won't we? We won't see the low light clips. We never do. Um, right, let's leave it there then. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month right now. For the first six months, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But Carl in Manchester, thank you. Laurie, I've even forgotten where you are. Perth, thank you. We've been to so many different places over these last few weeks, haven't we? And Andy's off now. He'll be halfway through writing his Fred piece, I'm sure, without a beer in hand and not speaking to any Manchester United supporters in that bar in Adelaide. But thank you for your company at home. Thank you for listening, as always, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Brilliant. Um, Andy, did you have a friend then? Oh, just someone asking me what I wanted to eat. Oh, <laughs> so I told Get your priorities me. straight. Absolutely. What have you ordered? Um, some chicken <laughs> zingers or something like that. Just sort okay. of like chicken yeah, yeah. and pointed with a sweet chili sauce. Man of simple taste. We've established that before, haven't we? Simple man of simple taste. <laughs> uh, let's get back to it then. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.